Welcome back to Pod is a Woman. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And we have a very special guest joining us this week. Academy Award-winning actress, director, producer, and now author Natalie Portman is joining us to talk about her new book, Natalie Portman's Fables, and her thoughts on everything from the election to women's representation in film. And we also have Amanda Brown Learman, who is managing director of Supermajority, joining us with some action items you can take in this final home stretch before election day. But first, we have our final debate this week, ladies. What should we be looking out for? Well, so it's not the town hall format that we wanted for the second debate. That was last week in separate but not so equal town halls. So uh, we'll see this week the two of them on the same stage, right? I don't think I've heard anything about plexiglass, but I have heard about the mute button. Well, we're lucky to have the mute button in this instance, it's, if it's anything like the first debate, which was just atrocious. So here's the thing about the mute button. It actually, it shouldn't need to be used. You know, there's been a standard decorum that we always have in presidential debates. It's our democratic process. You know, you always, people will talk over each other a little bit, but for the most part, people stand down and respect each other's talk time. But, you know, we're seeing this is obviously Trump's tactic. That's why he's so upset about the fact that they've imposed it upon him because his whole thing is to talk over Biden, to to try to get him to whether it's stutter or get him off his game or so on. I mean, even Pence has been taking notes from him, as we saw in the last debate and what he was doing to Kamala Harris. So obviously, he's understandably in his strategy upset about this. But, you know, the the commission has spoken and they're just going to have to deal with it. Well, are we at all surprised that Trump lacks respect for his opponents or anyone else? No, he's not going to act in a way that makes him look presidential or trustworthy or, you know, honorable. No. And I was I was remembering back because I actually did President Obama's debate against John McCain at Belmont University. I was on that team executing the event. And I remember the first meeting we went to with the McCain team, they showed up with hats with McCain's name on him. And I remember us like laughing about them being such, you know, dorks to like wear the name of the concert that, you know, they're going to. And like, I keep thinking about that now in this crazy world of like Trump folks who are definitely going to be wearing the hats, right? They're going to come in with their bravado and, you know, like lack humility and tell everybody what they want. And, um, you know, they've They've probably been doing it for about three days now because the teams arrive early. So now we know that they're going to mute for at least the first two minute portion, right? Well, and they're complaining about that, but they're also complaining about the host. With oh, yeah. Kristen Weckler, they're very upset that she is, you know, a, a Democratic leading person is what they're saying about her. I think Trump called her terrible. I mean, this is a woman of color who has a very storied, respected career in journalism. Yeah, we all know Kristen. He's and calling her a dyed in the wool radical left Democrat. <laughs> 
did you see they were using the picture of her at the White House Christmas party with President Obama as proof that she was tainted? Literally all of the journalists who are prominent go to the White House Christmas parties and are posed. It's like saying that Donald Trump would not be fair because he sat at the White House Correspondents Association dinner that President Obama spoke at. It's like the most insane piece of evidence to say that she's tainted. Look, she's a Philly girl, right? So we're going to see. I I hope that she actually brings up a lot of these issues that women and people of color think about. Because, you know, I would say we don't have enough women of color in the White House briefing room. And she has always been very prominent in her ability to ask really tough questions. Well, look, at the end of the day, it really matters the answers of each candidate, not the questions, because as we saw in the last debate, they don't necessarily answer the questions that they're asked. So they can ask whatever questions they get, but people are going to be looking at the answers that the candidates have. They're going to be looking at the way they behave with each other. You know, that's going to be the ultimate barometer, because I have no doubt that no matter what she asks him, Trump's going to answer the question he wants to answer. He's going to pivot back to his talking points and try to make his point. So to try to make it seem like somehow it's going to be blatantly unfair, again, just sounds like them trying to set up a situation where they have some cover if he has another disaster performance. That's right, Alejandra. And I think, you know, we've seen him move away from taking a policy position on anything and just go on the attack and use the same themes of, you know, MAGA and making America great again and how he's got, you know, the best economy out of any president in history Mm -hmm. or whatever lies he's spewing. But what I think is interesting as we are talking about the debate topics overall, I expected, you know, COVID and climate change, national security. What isn't there is foreign policy. And what is there is a American families. And I don't really know what that means. Yeah, I don't either. And I do think that they'll talk about international affairs, foreign affairs, when they talk about national security. But it is, you know, our superpower is actually solving problems for billions of people, which takes real engagement with our multinational coalitions. And that is, you know, not necessarily prioritized by these quote unquote topics. I think it's interesting just to see their schedules right now because Joe Biden, right, is like planning to come and talk about functional government and how he would actually solve problems for people. Whereas Donald Trump is on the road talking about Hunter Biden. And it's like, enough already. Like, we've discussed this. And I'm sure he's going to come into this debate and he's going to throw around these false accusations again instead of preparing any plan to get the American people out of a COVID environment. If he makes this debate about Hunter Biden again, I mean, he has the most ridiculous advisors because that is not what anyone wants to hear from anymore. And to your point about hitting the road, let's talk about how he's hitting the road. Because Trump apparently (laughs) seems to think that the, the more rallies you hold, the better your chance of winning. And he's holding these in-person rallies, again, maskless, many of them. And we're hearing from sources that he wants to hold up to five rallies a day. Uh, He's just saying the more rallies, the better is his tactic right now. 
I mean, here's my issue. I do think that we do not want to underestimate the fact that so many people are willing to go put themselves in harm's way to stand at these airports and listen to him speak. And it is a scary phenomena because there's so much disinformation. And so when people are only listening to that disinformation, they are very inclined to vote. So I saw, you know, Jen O'Malley Dillon said, like, do not take this for granted. We've got to be out there. She's the campaign manager. She knows knows this stuff. And I am part of me when I look at these rallies, I'm like, oh, my God, President Trump could be reelected. And we should know that. The other part of me sees him pull Kaylee McEnany up on stage after she's recovered from COVID and say, isn't her husband the luckiest man? You know, da, 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 da. And it's like, oh, why would any American vote for this guy? I'm actually glad he's doing these rallies for the exact reason that you said, Johanna, because it keeps us on our toes. Because every time I turn on the TV and I see all those people screaming without their masks and and cheering for him, I think, you know what? We cannot take this for granted. So if anything, you know, he's galvanizing the left to be like, all right, you know, like there's still a lot of people that support this man. We don't understand how, but let's not take any votes for granted. Something else that they just said was that Melania Trump is apparently not traveling to his his rally that they're holding tonight because of lingering effects of COVID, which is really interesting because she has tested negative, but apparently is one of those people like we know a lot of folks that you know, they may get past it technically and not be infectious, but are still feeling the lingering effects of it. I'm surprised because I saw that she was scheduled for it. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. that she is taking, you know, a step back. And as she should, we, you know, hope that the First Lady gets well soon. And we know how tough COVID can be on so many people. So we're wishing her well. But I'm glad that she's staying home and not putting herself at increased risk. If your spouse is still dealing with the lingering effects, like you better damn well test negative before that debate. Don't bring your, you know, like, that's the other thing is it's just like he's living in a world in which COVID doesn't exist. And it's like, truly, they said more than 200,000 people dead because of this, not other issues. I'm sorry, President Trump, this is your your record. And I think Joe Biden is going to keep trying to bring it back to his record. But I don't think that Donald Trump has any intention to talk about his record at this debate. But Johanna, as you talk about the debates, I would hope that they would have to have proof this time that he did take a negative COVID test and that everyone on that traveling team has taken a negative COVID test. It's not worth the risk to any of the people who are, you know, helping host this debate. It's not a good look. It's just like, he looks reckless. Everything he's saying, like he always tearing down Fauci and all the things that he's been doing lately, it just reeks of desperation and recklessness. Well, as he said today, he is not running scared. He's running angry. Oh, boy. Like I'm sure many of you guys out there, we've been thinking about what we can do in these last two weeks to really make them count. And so as promised, we're going to have Amanda Brown Learman to talk about some concrete action steps. But first, we are so excited to have Natalie Portman on with us today. She has her new book, Natalie Portman's Fables. And I mean, as we all know, she's involved with so many issues. So let's jump right to her interview. 
We are joined today by Academy Award-winning actress, director, producer, and activist Natalie Portman. We are so excited to have you here with us today, Natalie. Welcome to Pod as a Woman. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on and talking to you. So first things first, your debut book, Natalie Portman's Fables, has just been released. It's a retelling of three classic fables, The Tortoise and the Hare, The Three Little Pigs, and Country Mouse and City Mouse. You've said in the past that girls have been noticeably missing from fables. What themes were you hoping to center in your retelling? Well, I really wanted to preserve the kind of values that we like to pass down from generation to generation and preserve the stories, but then make them reflective of the world we actually live in, which is not predominantly male. Because I noticed when I was reading to my children that I was reading these stories that I loved so much, but that all the characters were male. And I thought, what kind of message is that to my son and to my daughter that's kind of underneath the surface there um, that male stories are more important to tell than women's stories, that um, you should care about how a male is feeling more than you should care about how a female is feeling, um, all of those underlying things. So I thought, what if we just really kept these stories, but just made it reflective of the animal kingdom and of the world? That's so interesting. And I noticed that the theme of empathy runs throughout the book. And I remember reading that you said growing up, stories about animals help you learn empathy for animals. And now as you're parenting your two lovely children, what are you hoping that this book shows them? Empathy really is the core. I think storytelling, whether it's through movies or whether it's through books, is really our practice of empathy. You know, you sit there while you're reading, while you're watching something and you care about the characters you're with and you cry for their sorrows, you laugh with their joys, you're excited for their accomplishments. And that is empathy. It's practicing caring about someone else and imagining someone else's life as different from your own and having different experiences that might make them feel differently. And um, practicing that is key. And that is how hopefully we can grow good people, raise good people. Um, and so I think I my main goal is to expose them to as many different stories that's most representative of the world at this young age, because I don't think you can really discuss huge issues when they're three, four years old, but exposing them to lots of different types of people and just seeing everyone as human um, and worthy of caring about and worthy of knowing their story. Um, that is the the kind of starting point for, for empathy that I want with my children. Well, I read it to my son and he loved that um, you have it in a modern context. And he was like, Melinda, the pig drinks soda. <laughs> so it was, it was very cute. <laughs> oh my God, it's funny because you said your son is about the same age as mine, mine is nine. And he also like understood it on such a different level than my daughter, um, who's three and a half, because of course he was like, oh, I get it in the original story, the pig makes their house out. And in this one, she's making it out of plastic straws. That's clever, Mama. <laughs> Thanks, honey, for picking up on the nuance. 
you obviously don't shy away from talking to your children around issues. You know, you had a sketch that your mom made in the book that showed your kids reading an RBG book, which was awesome. And, you know, we're talking about the legacy leaving that we're leaving for the next generation. Let's talk about the election for a moment, because you've been super vocal about your support for Joe Biden. You even headlined a fundraiser recently around the future of food, which I know is a really important issue for you. You've called this the most important vote of our lives. We're two weeks out. What do you see as being on the line for us? Everything. I mean, it's certainly the first time in my life that it feels like democracy is on the line. I mean, you can obviously make arguments that it our country has never been truly, purely democratic, that there has been always voter suppression and always an unfair system and always mass inequalities that we haven't paid enough attention to. But this feels particularly um, different with, you know, the incumbent uh, just completely disregarding any um, any rule of law. Um, I mean, it's it's like there's so much noise. You don't even know which which crime to pay more attention to. You know, and uh, it's um, it's so alarming, particularly at a time when we really need organized controlled, calming, thoughtful, empathetic Mm -hmm. leadership. Um, And, you know, all of all of the issues have kind of come to a head with the pandemic, whether it be healthcare and how everyone's health affects everyone's health Mm -hmm. uh, or the economy where we first of all see the need to value essential workers who we now recognize as essential, but are many of whom are the least paid, least valued members of our economy. And um, of course, people who are just losing their jobs and the need for a government support system for people who are struggling to not be evicted, ending up on the streets. I mean, it's really so comprehensive how this has pointed to our um, our need for community, our need for um, supporting one each, one another, and um, our need for good leadership. So, um, yeah, it's it's certainly I know um, it's it's very moving to see how much people are getting out to vote right now because it seems like everyone's recognizing this. I'm probably, you know, speaking to people who know way more about this than <laughs> I. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because I think you know it is. Um, so many women stand such a strong, you know, they're they're in such a powerful role this election. And I that's why we wanted to talk with women about all these issues. But I realized, like, as an actress, you've played roles where you're dealing with the ramifications of bad behavior from impulsive men. And I rewatched V for Vendetta this weekend, which also is really scary to watch right now. Yeah. But it's also- like weirdly resonant. <laughs> yeah, like not a good one to rewatch. Uh, but also like Star Wars and Thor, you know, I I was wondering what you make of the way women are portrayed in politics in actuality and generally today? Well, it actually makes me think of one of my favorite RBG quotes, which, and I'll paraphrase, because I, I, of course, don't know it by heart, but that, you know, putting women on a pedestal is just another type of cage. And I think generalizing right. anything by gender is, it minimizes our humanity. Our humanity, we are human, and we are just as capable of 
evil. We are just as capable of laziness. We are just as capable of all the, all the negative aspects of humanity as we are of the positive. And so I think sometimes the mistake people make when trying to be feminist is trying to make all women badasses or all women would be better leaders than men. And it's just not true. I mean, like, you know, I won't put good or bad labels, but let's just say different ideologies. You know, we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we have Amy Coney Barrett, we have, um, you know, Kamala Harris, we have Margaret Thatcher, we have, you know, it's like the women can be anything. Um, and I think that we can, um, I think the more we get people to look as women at, at women as human and recognize them based on their virtues or lack thereof, their talents, their ability, um, and stop making generalizations by, by gender is how we get to, to more equality. You're and so to be very right. cautious of it, because it can sometimes come masqueraded as like a compliment. Like people yeah. would say, oh, if women led the world, we'd be in a much better place. And you're like, that's not necessarily true. And that's actually diminishing to the value, like the possibility of women to be human. You know? Yeah, the multidimensionality that we have. Right. It's in the same vein of women are maternal or women are more nurturing or women are more caring or women are more sensitive. You know, it's all in the same category of like, seems like a compliment actually is a cage. You know, it's so interesting. And, you know, the complexity of like dark side, light side, anyone can be on either of the side. And I think about like Yoda and the fear of loss is a path to the dark side. And it's just it's a scary moment we're in right now. You're right. You know, as we look at humanity and people being able to be on both sides, I look at your advocacy and how you do everything from social justice to anti-poverty and climate change. And it comes from such an empathetic vein. And I wonder, you know, what inspired you to activism? Thank you for saying that. And, um, you know, I see myself much more as someone who has ability to amplify or learn from and share my learnings from real activists. You know, I care about these things, but I'm not the one on the ground, like working every day. So, you know, whether I get to talk to, um, you know, Susan Burton, who's doing this incredible reintegration of women after incarceration work in Los Angeles and advocacy on that, or Nithya Raman, who's running for city council in Los Angeles, who's been very engaged in um, homelessness issues or working with the Sierra Club on their environmental initiatives. I mean, I really feel like my role is much more of like a support amplification. Um, and I, it is a wide range of issues and I've always felt kind of the pressure to focus in, but they all seem so interrelated. Um, that it's hard to separate. And also, again, is part of being like a multifaceted human. I think like none of us care about one thing, you know, like right. when you're a human in the world, you should care about lots of things. You've been particularly vocal about women's issues, though, you know, as an investor in a women's soccer team and also being just a big force around Time's Up. Yes, I, I think that um, like many women, um, the last presidential election was a real shock to me. Um, I think it made me feel like people hated women more than wanting a good leader. 
(laughs) that was crushing. Um, That was really crushing and made me um, want to do whatever I could to shift culture. And um, I think often about like, what are the, the cultural moves we can make that make people see things very differently quickly. And um, so the soccer team, for example, was very much um, that sort of thing. Like I saw my nine-year-old boy, well, he was like seven at the time at the women, watching the Women's World Cup on TV and idolizing Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan the same way that he looked at Messi and Ronaldo, like he wanted the jerseys and they didn't have them at the Nike store. And I was like, what, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Like they weren't selling the jerseys anywhere. And, um, and then they would come back and play on their teams in the U S and you couldn't find it on TV. It was aired on lifetime only, um, until last year. And it's on CBS sports now, which is, um, wonderful. no, no insult to lifetime, but just, you know, it's not where people consume sports usually. So if you're going for, you know, athletic amplification, um, you want to be in, in one of those places. So, um, I thought, oh, wow, that is like a place that if we could have impact, that would really change the culture for young boys and young girls. So we often talk about having more role models for young girls, but like, I kind of feel like girls know their ability. Girls know what they can do. It's great to see people that you can aspire to and it's great to have role models, but it's really boys who need to grow up looking up to women, seeing women the same as men, recognizing them based on their virtue, not based on gender, Um, seeing their, you know, appreciating their talents as human beings. That's such a great point. It is. And it's it's funny because my my son has a crush and this weekend. He and his little friend, they were both uh, changing their last name to the girl's last name. And oh I my. was just laughing so hard. I'm like, these boys are being raised, you know, <laughs> they're yeah. being raised right. It's a different generation. <laughs> it is. And, generation. you know, you have you've taken on this disparity. And I think it's so necessary because it, what you said really resonated. You know, it took us um losing with an extraordinarily capable uh, uh, female leader to, to wake up. I mean, even the Obama White House, we had reports that came out on pay disparities in our White House, right? The UN just released a report today talking about that the labor market has not changed in the last 25 years. We're still not valuing the work that women are doing raising children at their homes, the work that they have to do in so many cases. You know, I do, I so admire your seemingly investing at both the highest level directors and um, women's sports teams and microfinancing. And I wonder, what do you think you've seen has the biggest effect? You know, that's, that's a really great question because I have been involved in things like microfinance and I've actually been frustrated to be completely honest, you know, being in it for 15 years that like you go back to communities and yeah, it helped them stay out of extreme poverty, which is a huge, um, huge thing. But then on the other end, they're not necessarily like the families that have 
benefited from microfinance aren't necessarily met by other programs that help the growth. So you really see that it needs to be a multi-pronged approach when you're dealing with, you know, women in extreme poverty and their families. And I think similarly women, um, you know, that we know who are suffering right now in the pandemic, who are maybe working their jobs at home and taking care of their kids and cleaning everything because, you know, they need to, you know, uh, reduce exposure and, you know, that we're overwhelmed, we're overwhelmed. And, um, and the lack of thinking about that, I think hopefully will propel people to, a to the polls and B to caring more about issues like, um, you know, childcare for all or, or daycare for all, preschool for all, um, you know, that, that those issues make a huge difference in women's lives. And we're, you know, getting to work and live in other countries where that stuff exists, you just see much different possibilities for women in the workplace um, because, you know, when you, when you do have a support system, a network, um, that, that helps you with those aspects, it really does change your, change your possibilities. That's so true. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't close by asking you about the reason you're in Australia right now, which is to film Thor Love and Thunder, where it is right now you're undergoing an intense workout routine to build quote, superhero muscles. I mean, (laughs) superhero muscles, (laughs) Underneath the flowery top is like the yeah. dichotomy. I'm this all This is about. all full of muscling. <laughs> I, I love it. Well, look, there's a detail of the story that really stood out to me, which is your character, Jane Foster, is battling breast cancer while also being a badass superhero. I Especially during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, this is such an important piece. What do you see as a message this sends women about our capacity to be vulnerable and battle an illness while also simultaneously being incredibly powerful? Well, I think that's exactly the core of it. It kind of speaks to the fact that um, those battling cancer are superheroes and it takes superhero strength to get through it and to power through to hopefully survive to thrive after and um and yes we've obviously been lucky to have so many models of of women who have have done that so it certainly um there's plenty of inspiration to draw from well i I'll say my my son was more excited that I get to interview you than he was about even meeting uh, President Obama. So you're doing some big stuff here. I wish my son were as excited. (laughs) (laughs) I think my son would definitely look for President Obama. (laughs) <laughs> they take certain things for granted. For sure. Natalie, like you, I am a working mom of two little ones, and I just appreciate your advocacy on so many issues. You're such an inspiration for women across the globe. So thanks. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate all the work that the three of you have done so and continue to do, and it's very cool you're doing this podcast too. Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Natalie Portman's Fables is out now. Be sure to pick up a copy of this timeless book for your family's library. It was so great to have you with us today, Natalie.
That was a really great conversation and she brought up so many points. I don't even know where to start, but one thing that she said that really stood out to me was when she said that people hated the idea of electing a woman more than they wanted a good leader when she was referring to Hillary Clinton. I thought that was just, I mean, it was a sucker punch knowing where we are right now and what has happened to our country over the past four years. It's quite frightening. And you look back to four years ago when we thought that Hillary was going to be the next president and the polls all indicated that she would be. And I'm looking at the polls now that are indicating that Joe Biden's going to be our next president Mm -hmm. and knowing that you can't trust polls, you have to trust people. Mm -hmm. And I can only hope that the all of the early voting signs are positive indicators for what's to come over the next couple of weeks, because it's going to be a slog fest. You guys, I told my husband at that point, you know, I think this is not going to go the way people expect it to go. And God, I wished I was wrong. But I agree with you, Darian. I think that there we are dangerous. And, you know, every time that we see all these people out at rallies, I go, you guys, we cannot underestimate this enthusiasm. And it is ill-informed. And, you know, there's a fear, the fear of the other, the fear of socialism, the fear of we've got to change that. I mean, Natalie is doing so much to change so many hearts and minds from the kids level to the women's soccer level to the, you know, in the movies. I can't wait to take my son to see Thor. So that was awesome. I mean, as a breast cancer survivor and always hearing all these messaging, especially right now about, you know, be strong and you're so brave. But to see a representation like that of a woman battling breast cancer as a superhero, I mean, I, I just I can't get over how groundbreaking that's going to be. I'm, I typically don't go to a lot of superhero movies. I'm going to be front row for this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say we've been doing the Marvels and the Marvels have definitely been going in the direction of like female empowerment, which has been awesome to see just the inclusion and the that is that empathy is our superpower and I loved that she talked about that. She's so smart. I mean, mm-hmm. not that any of us expected anything, but you know, Natalie Portman is a badass and I hope that all young women who are paying attention to this see the multifaceted character that she as a woman is. Young women and young men. And I really like that she brought that up as a point that, you know, young men need strong female leads in their lives to help lead the way for them. We think so much, and I think about Dylan and Dawson and how I'm always looking for a strong female lead for them, but you rarely think that a young boy would need that. So I think it's so incredible that she is putting that forward. And her book, to that point, you know, the fact that, you know, a little boy will hear a story that at bedtime with more and more young little girl leads and female animals and all of that. I mean, if if it's just something that is a given from day one, which is something that a lot of us didn't grow up with. But if that's a given from day one, what a different world and society we're going to be in if that's the way that little boys relate to storytelling, to film, to books and so on. You're right. And I see it just in the way Hugh really empowers and in raising my son. I see what equality when you're raising, you know, a boy who can be the change can do. 
So it's just like all I dream of is that he's happy and that I never raise an angry old man. Like I want that superhero mentality. Well, she is a superhero in my book. And someone else who's a superhero is Amanda Brown Learman. We're going to go to her to hear some action steps about how we can really like burrow in in these last two weeks before the election. You know, as Natalie said, we really have everything on the line. And Amanda has some marching orders for us. So let's go to her. Well, we are so thrilled to be here with our friend, Amanda Brown Learman, the managing director of Supermajority. And with 15 days left until the election, she's gonna give us some actionable items you can take to help move us forward. Thank you. Um, such a joy to be here. I've also had the realization this morning that this was a podcast and I didn't need to take a shower this morning to join all of you. So <laughs> that was that welcome was big, to what we do every week. That, that was a big, a big relief for me. Um, because I've been so busy helping women vote across the country, we actually just celebrated a big day of action called Women Are Voting. Um, you can check out the hashtag love and hopefully participate in it as well because we women will continue to vote um, every single day through November 3rd. And we're literally just trying to make sure that every woman has the information that she needs to cast a ballot, um, helping women find their polling locations, find where to drop off their ballots if they have them in hand, reminding them to get those ballots back in. Um, and then once you have voted as a woman, we need you to tell everyone in your family, just like on the airplane, it's like put your own oxygen mask on and then take protect the people that you love as well and make sure that you are doing everything to talk to your friends, your family, your neighbors, um, people on the street that are wearing masks that you see. Um, there's literally no conversation that is not worth having at this point because everything is at stake. Everything is on the line. And just like in every election before, women again will decide this election. Um, and we need to make sure that the world knows that and is telling that story too. Yeah. I think that's a really big, important thing as we, you know, you know, like no matter what happens with this election and knock on all the wood, I have a, a strong um, desired outcome here. Um, but we have to make sure that women um, are in control and that every person that's elected into office knows who put them there so that they also know that they're working for women. And I think that's the real power um, and the opportunity that we have as women to not only decide and define who wins again, knock on all the wood on election night, but um, also be the the work that happens in 2021 and over the course of the next couple of years in a new administration that women are front and center as a new administration takes on the issues um, as well. So there's a ton of work to be done because I think at this point we're up to something like 15 million women have voted across the country. Um, likely we will have an election where closer to, um, you know, we're talking like 60 million women need to vote in this election cycle. Um, so there's still a lot of women out there that need to cast a ballot, that have their ballots in hand, that are waiting to go vote early, that are yeah, there was a great TikTok actually of this woman who had everything she needed to go sit in line for the 11 hours that she was preparing for. Um, but women are determined. Um, this has been a year of 
despair and just like crazy sort of reckoning with all of the injustices that our country has been plagued with for too long. And I'm so confident in what women will be able to do, the power that we have um, as voters and as literal like just defenders of our democracy. And I'm really hopeful for what will happen on November 3rd um, and hopeful for what happens and what that means for our future too. So if people are interested in getting involved beyond just voting, you can go to supermajority.com and get plugged into a ton of volunteer opportunities. We are texting women. We are calling women. Um, we are not door knocking, um, but we have a lot of COVID friendly, social distant ways to make sure that people are able to get the word out and do that community organizing that we also know is really important in their communities too. And for women who have not been politically active in the past, maybe this is their first time being inspired to action, do they need any political experience? Hell no. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so simple. I mean, I think that's a story of uh, certainly um, one that I hope will be a really good lesson learned for this election cycle, just with the year that we have that 2020 has been like, can you even call it? It's just like the hell that 2020 has been. Um, there are so many things that have united women um, and have allowed us to uh, come together. And again, not to say that all of the experiences are the same, but I think the racial reckoning that is happening in our country right now, the struggles and despair that people and women are facing as they battle all of the COVID challenges um, with having, you know, being frontline workers, being now teachers at home, trying to manage um, work, making literally just impossible decisions about um, how to feed their families when they don't have jobs, how to go to work, and then who watches their children. I mean, it's just really, an, it's a crazy world that we are living in right now because we do not have leaders that care about women or put us front and center. And I think that has really united women in a way. Um, I also think that there are a lot of white women that have learned to follow the lead of black and brown women across the country and are too taking on these issues um, in a really, I'm, I'm hopeful um, about that and what that means for our country and that sort of unification, if you will, that unity, that collective power will just be such a force of, um, you know, great will on election day. And I'm so excited about that. And that isn't based on having, you know, like, not because your parents were in politics or cared about po or were politicians, not because you have money or you having mm -hmm. these conversations. It's just like, the shared experience um, and empathy and resourcefulness that women have in this country that are bringing us together in a way that I like, honestly, so excited for women to tell Donald Trump you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I that love would be that. great. <laughs> oh. So I have a question because I think last time was about 53% women, right? And it's um, now been 100 years women have had the right to vote. Do we expect that to go up, our percentage to go up, or what do we think? 
Um, definitely. I mean, I think it goes up um, a little bit every year just with, you know, sheer sort of population numbers. But yeah. um, the gender, so the gender gap in every election is pretty, un I mean, incredible. Women have been the majority of voters in every election since 1964. Um, yeah, amazing. And the gender gap has been something that has literally defined this election cycle since yeah, since Joe Biden was, became the nominee, um, it's now, you know, just a 20, I mean, it's like double digit, it has been a double digit lead for much of this election cycle um, with women dominating. That's never the story that people tell, which is mm -hmm. something that we also need to correct for, but is a really true and strong reality. Um, and I would be willing to bet that we will see an increase in women's participation for sure. Um, not There's also, and this is a pretty incredible number, 12 million women have turned 18 since the last election. Wow. Um, those are people that will have a chance to vote against a racist and a misogynist and have been waiting for that moment too. And you've also just seen a rise in women's activism, particularly, Darian, for the folks that you were just talking about that came into their uh, political activism, if you will, as part of the resistance coming out of the 2016 election with and the demonstration with the Women's March in 2017, then women running even for office in their own communities in 2018. And I think you're going to see just exponential growth um, that it's, I mean, I'm trying to also coin this new word and hope that the dictionary adopts this one, just fired upness, because that is the best way. To <laughs> fired up, ready to go. So fired up. Oh, so fired Edith, up. Edith Childs, God love women and their power. But it's like, you know, after the election, we'll continue to work together on using that superpower, right? Totally. No, it's the only <laughs> thing um, we have to. Uh, yeah. And I think that is actually one of the the great organizing challenges and even the missed opportunities that, and I hope is a lesson that we've learned from past election cycles where, mm -hmm. you know, we put people in power and sometimes they forget who put them there. And so part of the work that we're doing at Supermajority is to not let anyone forget <laughs> um, and make sure again with, you know, fun social campaigns like hashtag women are voting, we need the world to see who is putting you in office. And even if yeah. you don't look like us, Joe Biden, um, we want you to know who got you there. We want Kamala Harris to have all of the support she needs, right? And everyone's gonna have her back. And that, you know, that creates an opportunity for us to make sure that they focus on issues like quality affordable healthcare, making sure that that's not dismantled, like actually combating or confronting racial injustices that have plagued our country for too long, actually putting forth solutions that will bring women and their families real COVID relief, you know, economic relief, short term and long term, because no one is freaking talking about that um, in the current administration. Um, no one cares about that very clearly. Um, and also just the fact that, you know, we have to protect our democracy and women, again, are always the on the front lines of our democracy as voters, as volunteers, as activists, as the people that are feeding people as they're waiting in yeah. lines. Um, and I want to make sure that that's also, you know, we know that women care about 
um, a right to a safe and fair election, and they're doing their damnedest right now to make sure that that is not in jeopardy as well this year. Yeah, that's right. And no matter who wins the election, I mean, all of these issues are continuing to be top of mind with Amy Coney Barrett, everything that's going to be going on. I mean, this is a time for women to continue pressing these issues in as vocal a way as possible. And we're so grateful to you and Supermajority to give us this vehicle to be able to engage and continue to engage, especially the next generation. I love your fired upness. That's that's the next the next generation of fired up and ready to go. Totally. And so again, I can know, you tell people getting started in that, you know, it's yes, like the real work really starts after Election Day. It well, does. tell people where to go again, remind people where to go so they can find more information. Yes, definitely. Thank you for the second opportunity to give this plug. You can go to www.supermajority.com. You can also find us on all of the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, TikTok, even. We are trying to reach women, again, across race, across age, across class, um, and bring everyone in, as many people as possible. We are are, you know, somebody famous once said we are stronger together and we are trying to, to prove and live that live that out. Absolutely. We continue to be so inspired by you and the work that you're doing at Supermajority. So we look forward to staying in touch and seeing all of this play out. No, definitely. I love you all. Thank you for, you know, continuing to raise this really important conversation. And I hope that we get to come back together and celebrate what women did this election cycle in just two weeks from now. So yes, we love you back, Amanda. Thanks for coming on. So much love. Well, as we talk about superheroes, someone who really showed her superhero form and is our potus of the week is Savannah Guthrie. During last week's town hall, she handled herself like a true boss and really took President Trump to task asking the tough questions. And we just applaud her effort and the work that she put in there. Yeah, absolutely. She was awesome. Um, We have a shout out of the week goes to our friends in the way I see it. Obviously, it was a documentary about Pete Souza, who we all worked with, who we all love. But so many of our friends faces were in there. And I loved seeing so many strong women. Um, Shout out to them. I know, Darian, you were saying how good it was and how it made you cry. And the Corey Remsberg portion when Ferial started talking about the images from the road, Ferial Govashiri, who we all worked with, you know, that is the way we saw Americans, like the humble, the empathetic, the people who we all want to be. And God, we need to get back to it. So if you haven't seen it, watch the way I see it, get motivated and do everything you can in these last two weeks. There were so many tender moments in there. And yes, it did bring me to tears. And it was also really sweet to see baby Dylan in the president's arms at one point. So I was just, I highly recommend it. It was one of the top rated MSNBC shows that they have ever had. So just a really incredible watch. Well, that wraps it up for a very special episode of Pod is a Woman. But next week is also one you don't want to miss. We have the incredible Shannon Watts, who is the founder of Moms Demand Action, which is a movement demanding reasonable solutions to address our nation's culture of gun violence. She is definitely not shy about her feelings on this election. And so we're going to dive in with her next week. And we hope you'll join us for that. Take care. Take care.